You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Let me get an amen, church. Well, good morning. Is it hot enough for y'all? See, this is why you need to get saved, because you don't want this for eternity. There's the old Baptist preacher coming out, and I ain't never been Baptist in my life. But anyway, uh, welcome to Venice Church. We are so glad that you're here. Um, we have a lot of ground to cover, so if it's cool with y'all, like, um, there's some announcement slides. I'm going to ask uh, Dean, who's running the computer, give it up for Dean and our, our AV crew back there. <laughs> Dean and Gary and Edwin, they do a great job back there. Um, so can we just dive into the Word? Let's just do that this morning. Everybody with me say amen. Come on. Let me know you're ready to kind of get it started because ha- I have just I have a lot of scripture to cover and I have some serious things that God wants us to know and so we're just going to dive in. We are currently in a series called Spirit and Truth and we're taking this, this summer just to uncover what scripture says about this thing called worship because worship is something that we know, is something that we're familiar with and, and so, but what is it really, this thing called worship? And to kind of jump into this series, we've been looking at the, uh, the conversation that Chris referenced earlier between Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus and this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and they have an in-depth conversation about a lot of things, and it's a great story. And if you've never really dug into that story, go to John chapter 5 and dig into it. It's a great, great thing to read. But there's a specific part of that conversation that we've been looking at. And it comes on the heels where Jesus is asked a question by the Samaritan woman about worship. And she basically says, Jesus, like, your people think that the place and people that can worship are just the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and, like, our people have a different perspective on worship. Like, kind of who's right? Are y'all right, or are we right? Because up until that point, it felt like worship was limited to a specific place and a specific people group. You with me? Say amen. That's kind of the way it looked. And so she wants to know, like, all right, who, who is right? Where, who is the rightful people that can worship, and where is the rightful place for us to worship? And when she asks that question, this is how Jesus responds. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, it says, Yet a time is coming, and actually has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and truth. So Jesus is kind of like blowing her mind right now. Like he said, there's a time coming when like, we're not going to worship there, and we're not going to worship here, and God's presence is not going to be limited to a specific people group. It's, not gonna, it's no longer going to matter where you are. You don't have to be in a, in, in a beautiful building with steeples and, and stained glass wielding, uh, windows and all these other things, and it's not limited to people of this skin color or that skin color or this economic place or that economic place. Like what God is really looking for is people who will truly, authentically, worship him in spirit and in truth and he says that though he's very clear like he doesn't just say worshipers you notice that what does he say church true worshipers and see worship is not a behavior that you have to learn worship is something that comes really natural to all of us because you were created in the image of God and so that was put into you so worship is not something that we struggle to do the problem we get is the target of our worship often gets misplaced like, we, we've, you've spent your whole life worshiping. Like, it, before you got saved, or if you're not saved, you are a worshiper. It is in you. You are designed that way. But some people, you come in here, and the target of your worship is something other than God. It's a spouse. It's a relationship. It's a child. It's a job. It's a hobby. It's, it's, a, it's a sports team. It's, 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 a, it's something. 
And what Jesus is saying here, I'm looking for people who will truly worship me. And the reason why we've been walking through this is because the more I understand worship and the more I read through scripture, true worship is a very powerful thing. Like true worship, like if you want to look at the places in the Bible where things happen that like just blow your mind, you're like, wow, like God is amazing. You ever read through those stories and you see God do things and you're just like, man. And are you like me? You ever read those things and, and, and kind of ask like, God, why don't you do those kinds of things today? It's almost like we feel like the God of the Bible is no longer the God of our lives, which is a big misconception. Amen, somebody? He's looking for true worshipers. So we've been kind of unpacking, like, what, what does that mean? What does true worship mean? In week one, I gave you these two statements. Number one was true worship acknowledges God for who he is and what he's done. Like true worship, God is the target. It acknowledges God for who he is. Not just for what he's done, not just because you feel blessed and because you have nice things and because he's answered some requests, and all, but, but for who he is and for what he's done. And the second statement was this, true worship is not just an external expression, it is an internal submission. That we can have the external appearance of worship, that we can come in here and we can throw our hands up in the air and we can belt our lungs out and sing as loud as we can and we can do all the things that look like worship but not truly be worshiping. Jesus experienced this in his own day and he quotes Isaiah and he says, they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. And that true worship acknowledges God for who he is and what he's done from a surrendered heart. That when God has us and internally we've submitted to him, that's what true worship looks like. And then we talked about last week, okay, if that's what worship is, kind of what does, what does worship look like? And we were reminded from this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And we kind of unpacked, all right, we've heard those terms almost uh, connected to each other for years. Praise and worship, praise and worship, praise and worship. Like, so what is praise? And, and I submitted to you that praise was a form of worship, that we can worship God in anything with everything at all times. Like everything we do, every act of obedience by you is, a, is worship to him. But then there's praise. And what does this praise look like? And we unpacked, it wasn't a cool to look. There's seven, seven different words in Hebrew that are translated as one word, praise in English. And a, a posture of praise can look like so many things. It can be an uplifted hand. It can be a shout. It could be singing. It can be a knee bowed in reverence to who he is. And that we have to offer a sacrifice of praise, which means you have to sacrifice maybe even your personality and your comfort zone and a, assume a posture of praise as God leads and moves in your life and I very intentionally did that for those two weeks because now that you understand what true worship really is and and what true worship really looks like it's time to understand what true worship can really do what worship really can do in your life do you ever feel like you're just under attack I got one brother that's with me do you ever feel like you're just under attack? You ever feel like the moment you get one thing solved or fixed in your life, boop, there comes another one. And usually it's not boop, it's boop, 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 boop. Like it's like we can handle one thing at a time. It's when it comes in waves that it really just is not fun. Amen? Like, it, like if, if, if one thing breaks, it ain't never just one thing, right? It's like 15 things, and it just comes in tidal waves. And it just feels like, and, and, and my conversations, just as a pastor, it seems like every day, week after week, are littered with people that the struggle is very real. 
And people are going through hard, difficult, dark seasons. Very rarely do I have a day that I don't have a conversation with somebody whose marriage is hanging on by a thread. Whose business is struggling toward bankruptcy. Who's battling addiction and brokenness. And what I want you to understand is even though that's a reality of life, even though you are, the reason why you feel like you're under attack is because guess what? You are. Amen, somebody? Like you have an enemy that does not like you and because God loves you. And he is desperately trying to wreak havoc in your life and you are under attack. But the good news is, is God's giving you weapons. I'll say it again. Good news is God's giving you weapons. And what I want you to know is that true worship is a weapon. Like true worship is a weapon. That if you're here today and you're going through that season and you're facing those difficult times, that I want to arm you with a powerful weapon against those things which are trying to rob you of all the good things that God has put in your life. Like you have a weapon and worship is a weapon. Worship is one of the greatest weapons that God has given us to counteract the things of the enemy. And it's time to deploy your weapon. Like if you're here today and you feel like you're facing barriers and bullies and brokenness, that worship is your weapon to battle against those things. And I want to prove it to you. And I want us to walk through three stories in Scripture where people used the weapon of worship effectively and it did amazingly powerful things in their lives. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got the app open on your phone, check this out. Let's first go to Joshua chapter 6. Now Joshua, in case you don't know who he is, Joshua was mentored by Moses. You know who Moses is. Moses was that guy that God appointed to lead the nation of Israel out of 450 years of slavery in Egypt. And he got to this point where he handed off leadership to Joshua. And Joshua begins to do all these things, but Joshua kept experiencing a lot of things. You know that all throughout the Old Testament, there are obstacles that stand between where God's people are and where they're supposed to be. You ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like there's something standing between where you are and where God wants you to be? Amen, somebody? And it's like, you know what? You, you, you can see it, and you know, like, I'm supposed to be over there. Like, God didn't create me to be here. God created me to be over there. But there's something that stands. There's an obstacle that stands between where you are and where you want to be. And have you ever felt like that obstacle seemed just immovable? <laughs> like, like, it's been there for years and like you can almost kind of see over the wall kind of in, uh, into the distance and you're like, that's where I'm supposed to be. That's where I'll, I know God wants me to be and that's where joy will be and fulfillment will be and significance will be and you see it but you look at that wall and the wall has been, the wall seems so fortified and seems so sturdy and impossible to move that you just kind of feel like where you are is where you're always going to be. I would submit to you, you need to use the weapon of worship. Joshua found himself at that place as Jericho and its fortified city and its fighting men and its walls stood between him and where he knew God wanted him to be. Look how the story unfolds. Verse 2 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now that first verse, if I'm Joshua, I'm a little bit ticked off by what God just said to me. Or I'm at least a little confused. Come on. Like, Joshua, God says, y'all, see, I have delivered, past tense, 
I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and fighting men. If I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, God, it sure don't look like it. You ever been there? And like God has said something to you or promised you something or put a word in your heart, and it's like this is what he said. Be like, God, I know you're saying this, but man, it don't feel like it. Like it don't, I know you said when I accepted Jesus, I was forgiven and free, but God, it sure don't feel like it because I keep messing up. God, I know that you said that following you and being obedient to you would produce the right things in my life, but God, it sure doesn't doesn't feel like it. Can I just remind you that what God says is more real than what you feel? And there'll be times when your emotions and your feelings will lie to you, but if God said it, trust what he said more than what you feel. Good preaching, Matt. Thank you. I appreciate that. Verse 3. This is what God says to Joshua. March around the city, once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and every, everyone straight in it. Now, if I'm Josh, I'm thinking, like, God, you, you can't be serious. Can you imagine the conversation it must have looked like? He, he, Joshua goes back to his army and says, all right, guys, you know that Jericho and this big fortified city and all these walls have been standing between us and where God wants us to be. I've, I've, I've met with God, and God's given me a plan. And he's army like, man, we're going to blow that joker up. Like, oh, we're ready. Like, they're expecting to hear some type of violent, powerful act. And so Joshua looks like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around it, then we're going to yell at it. See, that, I think that was the response of everybody. Like, for real? And can I just say, probably throughout the morning, you're going to be tempted to kind of respond the same way to me, that I'm going to say, you know what, that problem you're facing, the best thing you need to do is sing. That difficult thing that you're going through, your best option right now is to praise God. And you're going to look at me like I'm crazy. Like, dude, you, if you knew what I was going through, you wouldn't give me such a silly plan. If you knew how messed up my life was, how reckless I've been, how destroyed this thing seems to be, if you knew the size of the wall in my life and you're standing up there telling me the best thing for me to do to get that wall to crumble is to worship, I feel like it's probably going to feel as ridiculous to you as it maybe did to them. But watch what happens. Verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord, blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while, he, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. In verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now can I just imagine probably what was Joshua thinking? He was like, all right, here we go. Here we go. God, I hope you got this. It says, all right, on the seventh time, shout. Verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. 
and the sound at the sound of the trumpet when the men gave a loud shout the wall collapsed so everyone charged in and they took the city like that was God's plan their weapon that day was worship see worship is a weapon that has the power to tear down walls and there is probably walls that are built up in your life that need to come down for you to advance forward for you to grow spiritually for you to take new territory for his kingdom and you've been racking your brain like you've been coming up with a strategy you've been studying the wall like how do we do this And see, here's the problem. If, if you keep staring at the wall, you'll never break through it. But if you'll worship the one who has the power to bring it down, ooh, something amazing just might happen. Y'all too quiet, man. That's good. Come on. And see, that's not the only story where we see God leverage the weapon of worship to remove things. There's a story if you flip over to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And just to kind of give you again, set the stage. This is, this is at a time when the nation of Israel has been split into two kingdoms. And the southern kingdom, Judah, has new leadership. And it's continuing to battle things to stay who God wants them to be. And they have enemies coming at them at all times. And once again, they're facing another battle where there's an enemy trying to attack them and trying to keep them from being who God has called them to be. And if you go to verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says this, After this, the Moabites, Ammonites, with some of the Menunites and Megabites and Gigabites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Yes, that's that brother's name. He had a struggle from birth, didn't he? I mean, Jehoshaphat. So verse 2. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea. So they come and report and say, hey, king, like, there is a vast army. Not a small army, not a tiny army, not an army that like we can deal with. There is a vast army, army, and they are headed this way. Verse 3, alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, there's always already something different about this group of people than there is us. Because Jehoshaphat's first response to the reality that a vast army is headed his way is not to go take up arms. It's not to start training soldiers. It's to seek God. What if that was our first move? So often when we face problems, when things are coming at us, at us, the first thing we ask is, is God, give me a solution. We start trying to brainstorm, right, how, am, how am I going to fix this? Anybody else like that? When problems come my way, my natural instinct is, I got this. And in our arrogance, we believe that we can just fix these things independent of God. So right there, we're, we're learning a lesson from Jehoshaphat. So they get together and they fast and pray. But Look what happens. It says again, he fast and pray. They came to him, asked everybody to seek him. Verse 5, then Jehoshaphat, in verse 5, stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in, the, in front of the new courtyard and said, now you think like after this, this is what we want. After a fast, we want God to give us answers. 
Come on. Like we want to, like when we're facing something, we want to go to our prayer closet. We want to pray to God. We want to seek God. and We want to seek his face. And we want to talk to him. And we want to come out of there with some answers. Anybody else ever get that? Because it don't happen to me very often. Come on, somebody. But I'm constantly reminded, and, and we talked this several times, that prayer is a gift from God that's intended for intimacy with him more than answers from him. And your prayer life will dramatically change when you understand that that is a vehicle for intimacy and not always answers. So here Jehoshaphat, after all this pr- prayer and fasting, this is what he's got. Verse 12. It says, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. You ever face something like that and you spent time seeking God and your answer was, I got no idea. Come on. Like something is coming at you and you're dealing with something and you go and you fast and you pray and you seek God and you come up basically with, uh, I have no idea. But I love what he says there. See, he doesn't just say that. He says, we have no power to face this fact. This thing that's attacking us is bigger than us. We have no answers. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of a bunch of these different people names that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. And he stood above the assembly and he said this in verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle, but take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. See, I kind of want to stand in the position of Jehazel with you guys today and say that thing that you're facing that thing that seems overwhelming, that vast army that's attacking you, can I just say the battle is not yours, it is God's. And if you feel like you don't have answers and you feel hopeless, maybe you need to take the position that we see these brothers and sisters in the faith take here. But the first thing I gotta challenge you to do is you gotta be willing to engage. Because you know what they're saying? Oh, the battle's not ours, and we'll just sit up here in the house and hope God just strikes them dead somehow. Y'all have fun. Because that's kind of what we want to do. We want to say, all right, the battle's God, so that means there's nothing that I'm supposed to do. Even though he's going to fight, you still have to engage. You with me? Like, you can't just sit back on your hands and just wait. And maybe the breakthrough you're waiting for is because you're waiting for God to do what only he can do, but he's waiting for you to do what he's told you to do. And it's time to act in obedience. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites and all these other people came and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Sounds like they took a posture of praise, does it not? 
Verse 20, early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah, people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Can you imagine how dumbfounded the other army must have been? Like they come down the battlefield and they're like, yeah, what's up? They're ready to fight. And so, like, you would think their position would be to start drawing their, short, their swords and, 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 and getting ready to fling their spears and holding their shields. And they began just worshiping, give thanks to the Lord our God. His love endures forever. It seems like maybe the most silly battle plan when you're facing an attack that has potential to kill you. But maybe, just maybe, worship is the weapon you most need in that moment. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set down ambushes against the men of Abnon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Worship is a weapon that has the power to tear down walls, and worship is the weapon that has the power to destroy enemies. You are in a fight and the weapons that are coming against you aren't with sword and spear, but the enemy is flinging weapons of insecurity and fear and worry and depression and addiction and frustration and you name it. And the only weapon that you have to go against them at times is this powerful weapon of worship. And maybe what you need to do is stop trying to devise a plan and just start worshiping God. And just to let you know that like this didn't just happen in the Old Testament. Like worship wasn't just the only time that people used was used as a weapon in the Old Testament. Fast forward thousands of years as the church is being born and a guy named Paul is beginning to plant churches and he's, he's, we went from church persecutor to church planter and he's going around preaching the gospel and telling people about Jesus in such a way and he's doing things and people are starting not to like it and they're getting mad at him because he continues to preach Jesus and then this unfolds in Acts chapter 16 verse 22 it says the crowd rose up together against him against Paul and his cohort Silas and the chief priests and their, and their uh, magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. You ever feel like you've been doing everything that God wants you to do and you've been fully obedient to him and you still feel like life's beating you up? Welcome to the club. Verse 22. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer, guard to guard them, the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. They are in chains. Verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. 
Worship made the chains fall off. Worship is a weapon that has the power to break down walls, to destroy enemies, and to break chains. Worship is a weapon. And so today, if if you're facing a wall that seems to be standing between where you are and where God wants you to be, or maybe you're in the middle of the biggest battle you've ever been in your life and you are fighting tooth and nail and feel like you're doing nothing but losing ground, or maybe you're here today and you feel like you're still so in bondage to something and enslaved by something you do not want to know what to do, can I just say maybe you need to use the weapon of worship? Maybe it's time to start arming yourself with the weapon of worship. Maybe it's time to deploy the weapon that God's given you as the antidote, the, the, the counteract to that battle. And I want to give you a chance to do that. To worship till the walls come down. To worship until the enemy's defeated. To worship till the chains fall off. And see, here's what I know what you're saying, like, and I know it's dangerous, because I just read you these two amazing stories where people worship and these amazing things happen. And there's some, there's some people that would warn me against doing that, that I'm giving you some type of false hope. But let me say this. I, the reality is you can't replicate their miracle. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't imitate their worship. You can't replicate their miracle. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't imitate their worship. Some of you... Walking around the wall, it ain't going to take seven times. It may take 700 times. For some of you fasting and praying, it may may take years to get the result that you want. But what I want to challenge you to do is understand that worship is a weapon. And don't stop worshiping until the walls come down. Don't stop worshiping until the enemy has been defeated. Don't stop worshiping until the chains fall off. See, if you've tried this and it hasn't worked, you stop worshiping too soon. And it's time to pick up the weapon of worship once again and look at that thing that stands between where you are and where God wants you to be and say, you will not back down. You will not stop. You will not be silent. You will not allow it to win. And you're going to worship until something happens and the miracle shows up. So I want you to do that today. Because you have a weapon. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. See, the reason why I believe worship is still such a powerful thing is because the blood of Jesus made everything possible. Come on. What Jesus did on the cross unlocked power in the lives of those who believe in him like we haven't even begun to understand. And so this morning, maybe the one thing that you need to do to remind you of the power of worship is to be reminded of the sacrifice he made. And the way Jesus told us to do that was to have this meal where we would take bread representative of his body broken for us and juice represented of his blood shed for us as a reminder of the power of the sacrifice of the cross. So this morning, all along the base of the platform here are little baskets. In them are what you need to celebrate that meal. If you peel the first layer off, there's a wafer representing the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
to peel the next layer off. There's a little bit of juice representing his blood shed for you. I said it last week. There's some people in the room, you've been saved too long. You've forgotten how powerful he is. You've forgotten how beautiful the gospel is. You've forgotten what it really means to walk with and know and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That means the enemy you're facing, he will be crushed. The wall that stands between you and whatever God wants, he can bring it down. That thing that's kept you in chains, they can be shattered and they can fall off. And there's some people, you walked in here today, and because of what you're facing, the last thing you feel like doing is worshiping. And I would submit to you, when you feel like worshiping the least is perhaps when you need to do it most. So let's worship. Father, I pray that now as we celebrate this meal together, as we worship you and as we sing your praises, that God tear the roof off of this building. Tear the lid off of our imagination. That God, as people in this room stare at walls and struggle against enemies and are frustrated by chains, I pray that we would employ, deploy this weapon that you've given us called worship and that you would do something powerful in our midst during this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to come and eat. If you want to take and kneel and stay around the altar, you can do that. Or if you want to take it back to your seat, but come, let's worship. Let's celebrate communion together and let's use this weapon God has given us and let's see what happens this morning. Come on. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.